0: I'm Maggie John and this is Context Beyond the Headlines, a place for conversations with newsmakers, culture shapers and peacekeepers, where we explore the intersection between faith, justice, ethics and society. In June of this year, the Toronto Police, the largest police force in the country, admitted something the BIPOC community in the city has been claiming for far too long. Toronto Police used more force against black people more often than any other group or demographic. The results of analyzing data from 2020. And then a week later, Enveronics Institute released a study entitled Canadian Social Norms and Racism, a national study into the different types of racial microaggressions directed to Black and Indigenous people in this country and how aware Canadians are that they are happening. We speak to the author of that study, And later on, I sit down with a black man to hear his take on the recent acknowledgement by the Toronto Police and the new study on social norms in our country. And later on in the show, we discuss our so what. Before we go ahead with any show idea we formulate, a so what statement. Essentially, we ask ourselves, why would someone care? Our senior producer, Hannah Vanderkoy joins me to discuss why today's topic made the cut and her thoughts on this continued conversation around race in our country.
1: It simply adds to the other evidence that we've got that uh, uh, racism exists in Canada, that these kinds of day-to-day microaggressions do take place.
2: This is not news to us. Maybe it's news to the rest of y'all, but it's not news to us. The question is, what are you doing about it? Right? And the biggest thing that for me when I've listened to it is that there's a big accountability piece that's missing.
0: All right. Keith Newman is a senior associate with Environics Institute and the author of the study on social norms and racism in Canada. And he joins me now. Thanks for joining us today, Keith.
1: Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Your study asks people if they have personally seen or know people who have seen certain racist actions against Black or Indigenous people. And examples include appropriating Indigenous and Black attire at a party, making a racial gesture at a sporting event, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, what What did the results show when you uh, did the study?
1: Yes, this uh, this was a, a, an interesting uh, piece of research. Uh, in part because uh, this is something new. People, uh, uh, there haven't been other uh, surveys or research that have really asked these questions before, uh, which is why we thought that this would be useful. So the purpose of the research was to identify and measure the existence or strength of social norms that might exist around these kinds of racist behaviors which you've described. It's notable that significant numbers, significant minorities in most cases, or even majorities in a few cases, said they have either witnessed or know someone who's witnessed uh, these kinds of activities. So that in and of itself is notable um, because it's for for two reasons. One reason is that um, it simply adds to the other evidence that we've got that uh, uh, racism exists in Canada, that these kinds of day-to-day microaggressions do take place. Um, They may not be dramatic events. uh, They may not have major consequences per se, but they happen. And so it really, I think, complements the other evidence we've got, that this is fairly common. The Mm. other important thing though, just to add about this, is that what it also says is that not only are these activities happening, but many Canadians, if not most Canadians, acknowledge or are aware this is happening. Uh, Even people who are not racialized, even people uh, who are not the targets of these kinds of activities. And I think that's important because sometimes we hear the idea that uh, Canadians are in denial or not aware of racism, or don't think racism exists in this country, and the extent to which people are saying, yes, I've seen that happen, and I've seen it, and I'm acknowledging it, uh, is useful.
3: Mm.
0: Acknowledging it and saying that you see it happening, and acknowledging that there is racism in our country can almost be two very different things. Um, because I've been in, in conversations where people say, oh yeah, I've heard somebody say that, but it's just you know the generation that they came from. Mm-hmm. But they didn't mean any harm from it, no. and they will not acknowledge it as racism. So mm-hmm. you're clearly saying that there is racism in Canada, which is a clear differentiation from saying someone has acknowledged that they heard something that was insensitive.
1: What I comment on is the fact that people are recognizing that these actions are taking place, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to not even noticing it, <clears throat> or not realizing what's happening. So the next, I think, relevant finding uh, from this research is we also ask people how common they think things are, how common these activities take place within their social circles and community. Mm. So not just what you've witnessed or you've heard about, but do you think this this activity sort of happens? And again, you know, not everybody says these happen or happen frequently, but a lot, of, a lot of Canadians say it does. We then ask people how they personally think about these activities. In other words, mm-hmm. do they believe these actions are okay or wrong? And that is sort of what we call the personal or moral norm. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're putting their judgment on it. <clears throat> um, and, you know, we didn't ask people whether they thought it was racist or not. <clears throat> But I don't think that's as helpful as to ask people, do you think this was okay for somebody to tell this joke or okay for somebody to come dressed in an Indian headdress or it's okay to make a derogatory comment on Facebook or is it wrong? Mm. Um, And we found that most Canadians for most of these actions uh, uh, said that these actions were definitely or probably wrong. Mm. So that's, again, it's not everybody. Um, but it, it that clearly, I think, tells us that most people in most of these cases believe that these actions are, in fact, racist, uh, even if we didn't ask them specifically, do you think it's racist or not?
0: Right. You also ask about bystander interventions. What was the response to witnessing someone speak up if someone tells an insensitive <coughs> joke or someone is being hassled in public? What were the findings there?
1: You know, most Canadians believe that's a good or appropriate thing to do. I will point out that in the data, we also find that some people don't think it's a good thing to do uh, for the per, for the intervener's safety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important part of the research is the next part of it, which is asking people their sense of what other people in that situation think about what's going on. Mm -hmm. This is where we get to the social norms. So social norms are really the unspoken rules of behavior in a given situation. What's okay and not okay to do. The purpose of this research was to actually try and measure them and get a handle on them Mm -hmm. as a way to understand some of the dynamics of what happens in these situations Why do some people choose to act out in a racist way um, and get away with it, if you will, or not, um, in the presence of other people? Um, And I think the main finding was that uh, people see these actions taking place. Most people believe they're wrong, personally or morally wrong, but there's a lot of uncertainty about their sense of what other people in the room, so to speak, think about it. What that suggests is that um, the norms around these kinds of actions in Canada today, they exist, but they're not particularly very strong. Mm -hmm. There isn't a collective sense about what's acceptable or not acceptable in these kinds of situations, which is why these actions happen. And I think part of this is because this is not a topic that people tend to discuss with friends and family and colleagues and so forth. In other words, the discussion and communications and dialogue that might be helpful to help clarify these norms isn't taking place. Um, And so when these situations come up, people might feel uncomfortable, they may see what's going on, they may think about maybe saying something, but they may not be sure what other people are thinking, and they may not be comfortable stepping up and saying something. The other thing that may be operating is a competing social norm around rocking the boat and being impolite. And this may be something that perhaps is a little more well-developed maybe in Canada than some other countries or cultures. We have a reputation for being polite as a country. There may be a bit of a stereotype around this, but there may be some truth to it as well. So we didn't measure that part, Uh, but uh, it may be that there are countervailing norms that are taking place that kind of, in essence, make it easier or possible for people to act on their prejudices.
0: Did you Uh, find that the case with, uh, you know, those that you surveyed, uh, more white Canadians or white people that you interviewed, (laughs) that there was that that hesitance, or was it an equal split with racialized people in the survey?
1: So our survey, we did a survey with a pretty large sample of Canadians, about sixty six hundred, yeah. and we did this partly so that we could look at the results across many different groups and types by region and demographic, and racial background or identity. And we specifically oversampled or or made sure we had additional interviews with Indigenous and Black respondents. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to get their perspective. Not surprisingly, black and indigenous survey participants were much more likely to have witnessed uh, these kinds of actions or know somebody who had. I mean, that goes without saying. We expected that and we found it. Much more likely to see it happens in society. More likely to say these things were wrong, um, but not universally, which is interesting. Um, when it comes to the social norms, it's really interesting that the the Indigenous and Black uh, survey participants, their sense of the norms really wasn't much different than other non-racialized Canadians, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily something we would have expected. Um, again, this has never been measured before, so we had no basis to to predict or anticipate what might come out. I think Black participants tended to have a little stronger norms than the average. In indigenous participants, it was about at the average. And I think the interpretation would be that um, apart from their own personal views, their own experiences, which are different, and their own personal views, which tend to be different, um, Mm -hmm. their reading of the social situations is the same as other people. And I think so that uncertainty about the rules uh, uh, is the same for black and indigenous people. Uh, they're not sure what other people are thinking either. Um, so the result, in essence, isn't that different.
0: Is it an uncertainty, Keith, about the rules, or is it about what you said as well about uh, being afraid to lose your job, being afraid of <coughs> you know, being reprimanded because, again, you're not sure of the climate of the rest of the people? I mean, I've been in situations as a black woman where I've witnessed things and I have spoken up, but knowing that I do that at a cost. Mm-hmm. But I've also witnessed people who, again, of the same race as I am, who have chosen not to because mm-hmm. of fear of the repercussions of that choice. So just wondering, I, I don't know if your did your study go that deep into just
1: well—that's maybe good, the reason why? Maggie, that's a good question. I think, uh, first off, uh, we weren't asking people about what they themselves would do. I see. Okay. Measuring the social norms isn't isn't necessarily about putting yourself out there. Right. It's really understanding what other people are thinking. You know, there's a concept in this literature that's called pluralistic ignorance, mm. which is a bit a, a bit of a jar piece of jargon. But what it means is that there may be in a situation where somebody does something, and everybody might actually in the room may actually agree that that's a wrong thing. Like everybody in the room may say that's wrong. <clears throat> But the communication channels do not exist for people to know what other people are thinking. Hmm. So everybody thinks it's wrong, and everybody thinks other people think it's okay.
0: But the fact, Keith, that there is this almost, um, you know, this question mark of what social norms are when it comes to offensive <coughs> actions towards right. Black and Indigenous people, what is that? I mean, I'm hearing this, and I, for me as a Black woman, I'm thinking, well, first of all, I knew all, I knew most of this. Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't <laughs> be a surprise. I've experienced it. Yes. This is not a surprise. But also, this just <coughs> reminds me that it can be a very unsafe space. If I was mm. traveling on a bus mm. and I interacted, you know, if somebody s- s- shouted out a, a <coughs> racial slur, you know, just the sense that would I be protected? by others, I don't know if I would feel safe in yeah. that. I think about my yeah. children as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's just my personal conclusion, but right. I, I'm curious what, what you think. I don't
1: think this is. The fact that, that you know you're, people are operating in <clears throat> social settings with certain kinds of norms, I don't think that that is a surprise, a revelation in and of its sense. I think the, the purpose of the research is to make this explicit. Mm. Um, and you know, not—it's not something that has to be made explicit to the Black Indigenous community, but to institutions and organizations who are focusing on anti-racism efforts. Mm-hmm. I think that this research is intended to shine some light in saying, you know, there are all kinds of aspects to how racism operates. There's institutional racism. You know, there's the history. There's the there's the the, the culture. There are a lot of individual biases and prejudices that, that people have. I mean, there are different, all kinds of dimensions to this, and there's a lot of attention being given to that. <clears throat> um, but, you know, there's been no attention to this social norm dynamic in the context of what happens with issues around racism. Um, and I guess the purpose of the research is to demonstrate that it, you know, to, to, to shine a light on it, and to show that it can be measured, <clears throat> and that it's something that that isn't just out there it's something that perhaps there could be a focus and you know social norms operate in all kinds of behaviors and areas and dynamics most of the focus of other people that have been looking at social norms over the past number of decades have been doing so in a public health with a public health focus looking at all kinds Mm -hmm. of public health issues Um, And there have been efforts, interventions, campaigns to change norms mm-hmm. around sort of public health types of behaviors and actions. The best example uh, uh, is around uh, smoking in public, secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that it's a good example because if you go back a couple of generations, uh, smoking in public was normatively okay. It was okay to do. It was even cool to do. Mm-hmm. It was common <clears throat> Uh, uh, if there were rules or regulations, people flouted them, it was pretty common and it was kind of accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, But over a number of decades, there have been active public health campaigns to, in their words, denormalize public smoking, secondhand smoking in in common areas and so forth. And we could see that that's been very effective because today you just don't see it. Um, There's still, you know, a third of Canadians still smoke, uh-huh. but they're not smoking in public areas where other people are around. And it's not because the rules and regulations have stiffened, which they have, but people, but the norms around that behavior have changed enough over time that people who smoke understand that it's not okay in a restaurant or on a bus or in some other setting with other people around to light up. Uh, because they know that if they did, somebody would say something. So, you know, it's not, I mean, obviously dynamics around racism are very different, but it's a good illustration about how norms can and do change. And I think, you know, I think the opportunity here is to, you know, focus on norms in a way that can maybe see if there could be strategies or interventions to start changing these norms around racist activities and day-to-day behavior. It's not simple. Mm. It's not going to change overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, However, there's been a lot of effort, as you know, over the last number of years uh, uh, to uh, 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 expose people to diversity training. I think the idea behind that is if people are educated and provided with information, uh, people who are ill-informed or prejudices will get with the program and they'll realize what's going on and they'll change their behavior and things will get a lot better. Mm. The evidence that's, you know, that's looked into evaluating these programs, generally speaking, have suggested they have not been particularly effective in any kind of systemic way. Mm. Not to say it's not worthwhile and shouldn't be done, but, you know... Um that evidence is there. I think the 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 prevalence of of racist activity in day to day life may be better than it was, but hasn't disappeared yeah and I think you know the the challenge here is excuse me changing people's internal beliefs and prejudices and values and attitudes is fundamentally difficult, in other words, to change those things so people actually who were prejudiced aren't prejudiced. Um, you may make people more informed, but to actually change people's attitudes is a difficult thing to do. Um, I think
0: a part of that, too, is also recognizing that there are a lot of people that are in denial that there is racism (coughs) in Canada and that these social norms play uh, a huge role in that.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, that's true. Um, It is, But compared to changing attitudes and values, it is more feasible, broadly speaking, to change the norms, to change mm. the rules. I mean, again, it's not a simple process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, but, but changing people's sense of what is okay and not okay to do in public, in social mm-hmm. interactions, is, I think, a more realistic target. Um, and so, you know, what we're trying to do with this research is simply to, you know, put this idea out there and get others starting to think about what might be possible to do. I also think it's important to be mindful of the fact that there is a general tendency, and this is demonstrated by psychology going back 50, 60 years. Whenever people, broadly speaking, try to understand, explain someone else's behavior, they tend to explain it based on who that person is rather than their situation. Yes. as opposed to explaining your own behavior which yeah. is around your circumstances it's it, the notion is attribution error and for those of you familiar with psychology there is a tendency to look at other people and say they did that because that's who they are yeah and that is the case when we're dealing with racism i think that sometimes it's not productive to label people as racists mm. Ibram Kendi has made this point, if you're familiar with his writing. He said, there's no such thing as racist, only racist actions. That's not to excuse people and say that people's behavior is acceptable. But I think appreciating the fact that sometimes people do wrong things, uh, not because they're a wrong person, but they did a wrong thing and it may have various motivations or reasons behind it. And it may be that the social context is something that is either encouraging or or enabling people to act in in inappropriate ways.
0: All right, Keith, that's our time for today, but thank you so much for joining us on Context.
1: Thanks for having me, Maggie.
0: So where does this leave us with the acknowledgement from the Toronto Police Service of their use of excessive force towards Black and Indigenous people? And the new study from Enveronics, some in the community say this is not new information. I'm joined by social worker and mental health advocate Jermaine Morrison. Hey, Jermaine, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for allowing me to be on your program.
0: So thoughts on the Toronto Police statement that was made a couple weeks ago? I don't call it an apology because when I say apology with black people, they just say, uh, apology. What was that? So I am calling it a statement.
2: You know what? I'll, it's honestly like, I actually watched it twice. Okay. Like I actually watched the thing twice. And so I'm not going to, I'm going to try my best not to use the A word.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Because it really wasn't that, mm. um, I think, I think it missed the mark. In terms of um what it was yeah it just for me it missed mark and here's a couple of reasons why uh number one um it failed to meet i guess whatever objectives they were hope they were hoping for uh just because number one i don't think there was any meaningful discussions with members of the black community before you even went ahead and made this press conference mm. number two when i was listening to uh, the chief's statements, he, he kept on saying that he's going to tackle systemic racism. Mm. But at the same time, he's saying, well, it's not about individual racism. Mm. And that's the part where that's the narrative that, that to me really, I'm not saying it's backhanded, but it, it it really is a little bit ignorant of what systemic racism is. Right. When you look at systemic racism People make up systems, right? People empower make up systems. They make the policies and the laws that basically dictate how uh, its citizens and its members are to react and to be treated. Mm-hmm. So, if you're going to say um, we're going to tackle the system, uh, the systemic racism within the police force, then ultimately you have to address the people within your force, yeah. the people that continue to benefit. From such policies and laws, and for the people who continue to uphold or even make up the policies that have unfortunately uh, allowed police officers to egregiously oppress Black people uh, within the within when it comes to policing and and the whole justice system.
0: Yeah. I also feel like they could have saved a lot of time and energy if they had been listening to Black people from the beginning, because we have been talking about this for a very long time. Right. And there has always been the sense of, oh, no, you know, the police are fair when you know, they treat everybody fairly. And now they're coming out with this statement. And I know for so many Black and brown people, it's like, well, we've been saying this for so long. Is that how you felt?
2: This is this is almost like a no duh yeah. moment.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: That it, it was it almost felt like it was much to do about nothing, mm-hmm. right? Because even you know, there was there was um, a report out by the human rights commission of Ontario that mm-hmm. pretty much emphasized what you heard today. Yep. Right. And this is going back even like 2017, 2018. Yep. Right. Where black people are more likely to be harassed or to be over-policed, you know, uh, in whatever various ways you can think of. And this was directly towards the Toronto Police Services, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And who knows? There's a larger conversation when it comes to how policing in Ontario is when it comes to Black, brown, and Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of it is, if you ask any Black person that's heard this, it's more of a, okay, we already know this. This is not news to us. Maybe it's news to the rest of y'all, but right. it's not news to us. The question is, what are you doing yes. about it, Right? And the biggest thing that for me when I've listened to it is that there's a big accountability piece that's missing, mm-hmm. to be quite honest with you. Right? If we're tackling systemic racism, then let's discuss what, what ways are police officers or people within the police force what's going to happen if they are they are having to be disciplined for egregious uh violations of whatever policy you want to talk about Mm -hmm. what is going to happen to those police officers when they act in a very biased or very racist manner Mm -hmm. we have not heard that we have not seen that we have yet to see it right and it's not to say that black people haven't given suggestions what it's coming across is that. We're talking, but no one's not just listening, but actually taking action.
0: Yeah. I forced myself to read the full report, uh, mm. the analysis. And uh, one thing that kept coming up was the fact that, you know, there is going to be consultation with community and so forth. And I personally, as a Black woman, would have liked to have seen some of that conversation have already happened mm. when the statement was made to say, hey, We've been in consultation with the community. This is what they've been saying. These are the the things we're we're going to be doing, and uh, and these are the partnerships we have already connected with. What well, we did see, and I, I don't know if you remember this, is a memo that was leaked quickly after that the chief had sent out, saying, mm-hmm. "Be prepared for basically this uprisal," and uh, and also trying to calm concerns that. You know, that the police might have that they are that the finger is being pointed at them, mm-hmm. which again, I think negates the um, quote unquote apology mm-hmm. that was made as well. Thoughts on that leak of that memo and how you understood that?
2: <laughs> well, this is and this is why I think the apology, if anybody really took a look into it, because I was actually that was something I forgot to mention, but it's yeah. a good thing that you mentioned it. This is why that. That statement, again, I'm trying not to say the A word.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, that statement from from the Toronto Police Services um does not feel genuine mm. because you knew something was coming down the pipeline. Mm. To be and, and again, I, I continue to argue, it's hard for the Toronto Police Services or for most police services in Ontario within the context of a lot of the racial disparities that are happening, you cannot say you did not realize. It's the numbers may not have been there, but you can't tell me you didn't have a sense of the disparities, the over policing, the biasedness, you know, that's happening within the police services, right? Because again, many community groups over decades have tried to engage with politicians mm-hmm. and 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 police and other um People who have certain other institutions, if you will, we have tried to engage with you. We have been telling you this has been happening. We're asking you to stop doing certain things. Mm-hmm. So you can't tell me that you didn't know. It's just now that the numbers are right in front of your face. Now you have to come to the truth. Yeah. Now you have to admit, okay, this is what's been happening. And unfortunately it had to take a leak yeah. to force you to say, you know what? Um, we're sorry.
3: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And
2: it's That's almost true. like, you know what it is? It, it feels like when it comes to, when it comes to racism and the institutional, um, systemic racism or institutional racism, mm-hmm. it almost feels like, it almost feels like you're sorry when you're, when you get caught. Mm. It's not like, I did it and you know what? There's a lot of stuff that we need to start flushing out. And I'm gonna talk to the people who I've wronged first before I made a public statement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You basically bypassed it. You bypassed us as a black community and you went basically Mm -hmm. to public thinking that will appease. It's not, it is not. What we're asking for if at the very start, Mm -hmm. let's look at accountability. Let's look at you as an institution listening to us so that we can actually do this correctly. Because not to belabor the point, there's still a lot of Black people that, re- that will respect the police. Yeah, You have a lot of people, um, Black, Brown, Indigenous, um, that are part of the police force, yep. right? So, you know, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, all we're asking for is better treatment. Yeah. And we need to see it through accountability. And take responsibility for your actions.
0: And to be heard, right? The fact that for years we've been saying this. And to your point, too, I mean, last year we did an interview with the Human Rights Commission uh, interim chief. And, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, she had provided that information and, and suggestions to the Toronto police force. And yet they did not adhere to it or take it seriously. And so it took them saying, no, we're going to do this for ourselves. And now mm-hmm. we believe it. And so... Yeah, just actually taking and listening to us is important. What what has been your experience uh, with the police in the past? I
2: think it well. Okay, so I remember. I I do remember. Literally, I think about a few months ago, actually. Mm. So I'm on my way home, and I'm actually blocks blocks away from my house, right? Okay. Um, and I got pulled over right now when it comes to policing and just kind of like the experiences, not only with myself, but other, other people that I know, Mm -hmm. um, my guard was up. Like I was starting to get, I felt like I was starting to get a heart attack. I'm Mm -hmm. like, right now it would have been one thing where, where it was just a one cop car and they're going to pull me over for whatever, but I saw there was two cop cars Mm. Right, and that for me, I was like, "Why are why is there more than two cop cars to deal with just a routine traffic stop?" And to be honest with you, really, what it was was that I forgot to turn on my um my night lights.
0: Okay, yeah,
2: that's really what it was. But I'm asking myself, what was the point of having two, Mm. like two cop cars? Mm -hmm. Like it felt like you're going to search out for. In all honesty, it felt like I was going to be pulled out of my car. They're going to try to search for stuff that really wasn't there, but going to try to accuse me of something that I didn't do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's what it felt like, right? And I know there are others that have had worse experiences than I have, mm. but just that whole situation did not breed confidence in me of trusting the police. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Like, that was one of those things where it's like, listen, I'm almost home, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to do anything wrong or anything like that fine, it's one cop car or whatever, and fine, I'll take responsibility for not turning on the lights. Yeah. But then there was two, I was just like, what's the point?
0: You were outnumbered. I yeah, 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 yeah. Being outnumbered.
2: So yeah, and that's the part, you know, given the the rise in really rise in tension when it comes to race relations, mm-hmm. again, you think about George Floyd, mm-hmm. you know, you think about Brown, you think about um, of Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. you know, Um, You think about all the instances that have happened in the past five years, past three really, uh, when it comes to police brutality, and for any person, especially who's Black or Brown or Indigenous, it feels like you ask yourself that if you're going to be part of another number, if you're going to be another Mm -hmm. statistic Mm -hmm. of a violent incident of some sort or some sort of harassment.
0: And, and even though those all of those examples are american examples i think we all in the black brown indigenous community know of somebody mm-hmm. who has interacted with the police and it has gone sideways and so yes they left with their lives but they were arrested they were roughed up it wasn't it didn't end in a good situation and i think with with even this these findings this analysis being released I think one thing that has failed to be covered is how do we then trust this organization who has now admitted that they treat people that look like us Mm -hmm. with more force than any other group? And so how is that? So you're driving home, you're blocks away from home. This information has just come out. How is that supposed to give you confidence knowing that they have admitted that they, that there is more force that's used towards black and brown people.
2: I think it, in, in, in situations like this, it doesn't inspire confidence. Mm. I mean, there's, there's an old saying, not even an old saying, but there's a saying that I do agree with, you know, uh, evidence of an apology is a changed behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we've gotten to the point in general, that the apology only does so much, yeah. right? If you want to inspire confidence, if if the Black community, if Black and Brown communities want to have confidence in institutions like the police force, then we need to see the actual meaningful changes. Yeah. You know, we need to see change in how policing is done, right? Mm-hmm. We need to mm-hmm. see changes in... In how we are being treated. Mm. You know, yes, fine. Police chief said that um, we stopped, you know, things like strip searches and, and carting and all that type of yeah. stuff. But that's just other that's that's just layers upon many layers, uh, if that makes sense, of trying to really dig out the root of the problem. Yeah. And that is the biasness that exists that that still exists within the Toronto Police Services, right? We need to see meaningful changes so that black and brown people can feel safe and confident even just walking down the street. Yeah. Without the fear of being accused of something or harassed of something that we may not have done. Yeah. I shouldn't have to, as a black man, have to walk down the street or even drive in my car trying to get home and being stopped really for something that may may or may not be nonsensical. Mm Mm-hmm that mm-hmm. that's the that's the thing that i i think many people in the black community are concerned about yeah. will we be will we, will we be safe around you yeah you know yeah. that's the whole point if we can't be safe around you don't expect us to have confidence in you mhm
0: and then a new study entitled Social Norms and Racism in Canada came out shortly after the Toronto uh, Police statement, and it finds essentially that people don't speak up against those who exhibit racial slurs or actions towards Indigenous and Black people, even if they think it's morally wrong, which again is something that you didn't have to tell <laughs> tell us. They um, probably saved a lot of money on that study. But but again, you know, we just spoke to the author of the study and he said, you know, if anything, this confirms that there is racism in Canada, which, you know, for many people that has been their argument about Mm -hmm. Canada is just, you know, oh, we don't have the same situations that we see in the States. Um, But what they found in the study is that people are, you know, they they gave them hypothetical scenarios, essentially, Mm -hmm. and said, what would you do in the scenario? And for many people, they didn't know what the social norm was. They didn't know how other people in the room would approach or react to a racial slur or behavior. So for many, they remained quiet. They didn't say anything. Right. And so was that a surprise to you?
2: Not me. <laughs> Listen, talk talk to, to Black and brown people, talk to Indigenous people, mm. and they will tell you like their experiences. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that have been said, if not directly, sometimes indirectly, that have not made us feel like we're a part of the human race, if you will. Like we're just a notch below, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things where you have a lot of bystanders when it comes to racism, Mm -hmm. to be quite honest with you. Um, Because when racist things happen, and again, we, for years, for decades, have always tried to compare ourselves to the states mm. because we see the overt racism, we see the atrocities and all that type of stuff. But again, when one person looks at racism, it affects people's attitudes, mm. it affects you know what they say, how they treat people, and on top of it, it affects things that we may not see, job opportunities, mm-hmm. how... How people are affected or treated in the healthcare system. Yeah. Again, coming back to our original conversation, the justice system. How do police view us? How does the media view us in in light of things that are happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is not even really surprising in the least bit, yeah. right? I think what it says yeah. is that what we, what Ken has done, and I've, I've actually said this a lot. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to check out my, you know, Instagram page. Yes. You'll see where I'm coming from. But Canada for years has had a bad reputation of hiding who they really are. Yeah. Right? And it's reflected even in the race-based data. Mm. You mean to tell me in 2020, we're now starting to collect race-based data. Yeah. Which could have been collected 40 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or even longer than that. At least... When you look at other countries like Britain uh, or Europe, uh, United States or whatever, as much as they do some bad stuff, Mm. they will at least put the numbers to the reality. Mm. And they've been been collecting it for years. We have been sorely behind as to how badly we have treated its own citizens, especially as people of color. We have done a really poor job. And it's now we decided, oh... I think it's time to really look into the numbers and see what's happening. I'm sorry.
0: I think <laughs> a part sorry. I think a part of that Jermaine is this um and I think it comes from a good place, but it's just not realistic cuz how many times will you hear people say I don't see color, right? And it, and so so all I'm saying is that I think in the Canadian landscape there's this, essentially this, you know, we are proud to be multicultural. We don't see color, so we're not going to you know, find data based on on race. We're, you know, just going to collect data. But that doesn't help the situation. And also, we need to see color because obviously people are treated differently because of color. And everybody else sees color as much as you want to say that it doesn't.
2: So what happens with this, and I'm glad that you mentioned it, when it comes to this whole multiculturalism, yeah, what people haven't really sat down and thought about is that when they brought about, like, the whole concept of multiculturalism and inclusion, what people don't really talk about enough is that how it has denied the experiences of people of color, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when we we talk about like this whole inclusion business and especially multiculturalism, yes, we're glad that everybody is in the same room. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's talking, but what we're not gonna talk about is the bad experiences that have happened. We're not going to have those conversations yeah. because, again, you know uh, that's a bit too sensitive. Race, racism is a very sensitive topic, mm-hmm. right? Much like religion, much like sexual orientation, mm-hmm. those are very sensitive topics. People do not want to uh, have these type of conversations. So, if it's not talked about, we're okay.
0: Okay, why don't people want to have these conversations? Because I feel like I'm always having these conversations with my black and brown friends. <laughs> Uh, the people that I don't have these conversations as much with are my white friends. Mm -hmm. And so I have a theory as to why we don't talk about these things, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts are.
2: Because we don't want to see our own sins.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. We don't want to look in the mirror.
2: We do not. We, We do not. Again, you know, we've somehow built up this narrative of how Canadians are nice. And let's start there. Right. Mm-hmm. In relation to our friends in the South, mm-hmm. Canada has built up a narrative over the past many decades of how we are nice people, you know, we we don't see the racism as compared to, let's say, in the States, everybody's quote unquote treated equally. Mm-hmm. That is not the case. That has never been the case. Yeah. Because if that was the case, you wouldn't see that many graves in all these residential yeah. schools right. that have been happening. Yeah. The whole point is is that we, we have become very passive aggressive in dealing with certain social issues mm-hmm. in the hopes that somehow it will solve itself. I'm sorry, hate to tell you this, but when you take on, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a black person. I'm a black man. And I have experienced life much differently than somebody who's white compared to somebody who may experience life differently in this country, who may be Asian, brown, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But my experience is different, good and bad. Mm -hmm. And people have to hear what my experience is, otherwise the narrative about me will be miscued.
0: Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? And the narrative of a lot of Black people, um, not only in Toronto, not only in the GTA, not only in Ontario, but across the country, people need to hear these stories in order to understand what they're doing and what needs to be done in order to create a better society.
0: Yeah. So good. Thank you so much, Jermaine, for your thoughts today on this. Such a great conversation. All right, it's now time for our So What? Essentially asking the question, why did we decide to enter into this conversation again about race and race relations in our country? I'm joined by senior producer Hannah Vanderkoy. Hey, Hannah. Hey. What are your thoughts about what Keith had to say?
3: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, As he said, it's it's never been done before, and they're proving that you can track this stuff. Um, At the same time, it does almost feel unnecessary to track it because it's it's obvious. Like, and he even acknowledged that in the interview with you. He's like, you know this, you've been seeing it. Yeah. And so, I always struggle with that. It's like, why do we need a report or a study? And and is this even getting, you know, a huge amount of traction to yeah. change the social norms? You know,
0: one of the things that I felt like when he said there is racism in Canada, it was almost like a, oh. Because hearing that, A, from a white man, when, you know, we've received feedback, even through our shows that we've had on television when we talk about race, from viewers who are like, there is no racism in Canada, Maggie, what are you talking about? So to hear from somebody who's studying this, to acknowledge it, um, even though I know it, obviously, as a black woman, just gave me a sense of hopefully people are realizing this and waking up to the reality that black and brown people face in this country every day.
3: Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that he said it's easier to change um, a social norm than to change an actual attitude. And yeah. uh, to be honest, I find that, that sad mm-hmm. um, that that's the approach we have to take where it's not just about loving your brothers and sisters, all of them. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts about Jermaine's comments? Yeah, so uh, when that Toronto Police report came out, it, it was sort of similar. It was like, mm-hmm. A sense of finally, but then also this is, this has been studied before. Yeah. Maybe not officially by the Toronto police. And then a sense of, uh, at least for me, like almost hopelessness because they very quickly um, dismissed it as systematic or systemic, sorry. And I, I think that's a dismissal of okay, well, what are the real changes? And I think Jermaine even said, like, these are people, like yeah. behind systems are people. And so what are you guys doing about it? And I haven't seen anything. Yeah, I think that's it, right?
0: In all of the conversation we've been having over the past couple of years, and the acknowledgement, let's be honest, the acknowledgement of the majority white people saying, oh, yeah, there is a problem. It's like, okay, we've now acknowledged a problem. So how do we move forward? How do we change systems? And I almost feel like A bit of the energy has kind of fizzled. You know, people have moved on in conversation. When you bring up um, diversity, inclusion, people are like they've moved on from that conversation. And so, Kudos to the Toronto the Toronto Police Services for doing this research, but I mean, we could have probably saved them a lot of money by, like, I mean, the fact that the the um, Human Rights Commission had already done a study on this and had already found this information was actually holding the Toronto City Police um, accountable and saying, "What are you going to do?" We need to move on to like action points. What's what's going to happen? Are we going to see? Um, less brown and black people being pulled over for no apparent reason? Like, how do we actually see concrete differences?
3: Yeah. And and again, I don't want to be too hopeless, but I think of what's happening at at Durham um, School District. Uh, Roxanne, she's been on the show. She's a friend of yours. And it seems like, okay, so now we're a couple years later. And people are like, all right, that that thing that you were studying, we need that report to come out. And they're rushing it and making sure everyone's happy, in quotation marks, because they're not doing their due diligence. Yeah,
0: yeah. It is a fascinating topic that we will continue to follow. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Context Beyond the Headlines podcast. Big thank you to our guests, Keith Newman and Jermaine Morrison. Context Beyond the Headlines is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications. It is executive produced by Melissa McEachran. Produced by Hannah Vanderkoy, edited by Kyle Smistra, and hosted by me, Maggie John.